Welcome to the Aging Gracefully podcast. I'm Mary Thompson. And I'm Janae Anderson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels, every moment of our lives. Mary, I want to tell you about this article I read once that I never forgot. There was a, an older lady celebrating her 90th birthday and friends and family from many generations came to celebrate with her. And while all the celebrating was going on, the woman who wrote this article went up to her grandma and said, Grandma, when you look back at your 90 years, do you have any regrets? Grandma was silent for a while. There was a long pause. And then she turned to her granddaughter and she said, I regret not having paid more attention to my neck. <laughs> to my neck. To her neck. Wow. I, don't, I, I read that and I went, wow, I, I hope I can do better than that. Yeah, I think that we do worry sometimes about uh, looking at our regrets, but I think it's, you could look at it the other way and think, if that's the biggest regret she has, maybe she lived a really a good life. Maybe she did. Maybe she resolved all of her regrets. But what right. about us? Yeah, How regrets. are we doing with regret? Regrets. It was funny, because I, I knew kind of we were going to be talking about this at some point. I was listening to, oh, it's some Frank Sinatra song about regrets. I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. I thought, what do I regret? And as I look back over my life, I think that I regret things that I didn't do. Times when I let my fear or my lack of self-confidence make the decisions for me, mm. that I'll look back now and think, I could have done that. I should have done that. Why didn't I do that? Now that's so interesting because when I look back, I regret the things I did do. Oh. Exploding at a person, you know, various things like that. Interesting. So more about the things you did is what you're going to regret, where I'm looking more at the things I didn't do. Yeah. I, can, I can't really think of times I exploded because my problem was always implosion, that I'd ah. always take it in. But I can't think of times when I didn't speak up against something I didn't do. I guess so, I have yeah. a couple of those as well. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine there's a lot of people that hit our time of life and think about their regrets. What do they want to clean up? I think that that is very true, and um, I found an article. This is by Eric Jackson. He's a and the article was in Forbes, and he listed a number of our biggest regrets. So why don't we go over some of these? Oh, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear. Standing up to bullies in school and in life. I'm trying to think, have I ever had that opportunity? I can't think of ever standing up to a bully, but at the same time, I can't think of a time when I was bullied or actively saw someone being bullied around me. Wow, about you? that's impressive. I was terribly bullied in junior high. Oh. Um, riding the bus to and from school was an absolute nightmare for me. Mm -hmm. And the way I handled it was the way I saw my mother handle being bullied by my father, which was... I looked out the window and envisioned myself somewhere else, and I did not stand up to the bullies. Mm -hmm. I sure wish I had. Yeah. But I feel like I never revisit that one. I I did for a while when it was you know really active. I I guess I've resolved that one and it's over. And I actually at one point found one of the major bullies during that time on Facebook, and I wrote her a little message telling her I forgave her. Well, never heard nice. back from her. 
See, and now as you're talking about bullies, I guess my bullies, I grew up and went to Catholic school and my bullies were the teachers and the principal and things like that that were really demeaning and hard to deal with. And I don't Which think it... is not true of every Catholic school. <laughs> That's a little disclaimer. <laughs> and, and not all nuns are like this, but it was something that I went through and it was unsafe to stand up to them. It would have just gotten you more of an object of derision or an object of humiliation. So I think there's that. I don't really regret not having stood up to them because I think that it's put me into a safer space. It's different when you're the, you know, they're the authority and you're the child. Mm -hmm. But as far as peer bullying, uh, that never was an issue for me. Wow. Mm -hmm. What else? Stayed in touch with some good friends from my childhood and youth. Oh, interesting. So they're regretting that they did stay in touch? Or they... Oh, sorry. They're regretting that they didn't stay in touch. And um, a while back, I looked up my very best childhood friend. We actually have connected in person a couple of times um, since then. She lives out of country. But um, it's been absolutely wonderful. It's like nothing changed. Isn't that lovely? It's amazing. I, I, I stay in touch with some friends from high school. There are some friends from grade school that I stay in touch with. And we schedule things and they don't quite happen. And sometimes we get together infrequently. But it is lovely to get in touch with people who knew you then. I remember going on a vacation. I might have mentioned this previously where I was going to be together with four or five women that I had gone to grade school with. And I was nervous about it. I hadn't hung out with them in a long time. But we came from that same place and we understood each other really well. And we were still the same people. It was it was really, really fun. And my friends from high school, we've known each other so long that it's, it's a very comfortable relationship. There's a lot of support in that. There are some people from my from my childhood that I probably regret not staying in touch with, but I wouldn't have any idea where to find them. And I'm not sure that we're the same people anymore. Me too. I have a couple people I've actually tried to find to no avail. And mm-hmm. I've had to, you know, the Marie Kondo thing, hold them to my heart, thank them, and release them. Yeah. It's actually a very powerful little practice. It is. I think Facebook has done a good job at giving us the opportunity to find these people. And so quite often you can touch base with them and sometimes it's really exciting to touch base for a moment and then then it's gone (laughs) yes and a lot of kids um, in this generation are not going to have this regret because they find each other on Facebook or Instagram Mm -hmm. or whatever and they stay in touch their whole lives it Mm -hmm. seems yeah breaking up with my true love or getting dumped by them Hmm. do I regret that I don't, I don't think I have a true love like that that I broke up with or was dumped by. And I certainly... Now, this gets into my philosophy. That's not anything I would ever regret. It's I tend to see silver linings in everything. And I went through a really bad breakup one time that was devastating at the time. But in retrospect, it was perfect. It really, really was perfect timing. And it was a great way for that relationship to end. I ended up starting a job right after the relationship ended... And because I was no longer in a relationship, I dived wholeheartedly into this job and advanced very quickly and got very um, a lot of respect in that field, probably because I was hurting and I didn't want to be in a relationship, but it served me well. So I think, and I look back at it with this kind of gratitude, not regret. That's the beauty of looking back from this perspective. Mm-hmm. You start to see how there is pattern and beauty to everything that mm-hmm. happened I don't 
regret um, dumping or being dumped, but I do regret the way I dumped a certain boyfriend. Oh, yeah. It was, it was reasonably cruel and uh, unusual punishment. <laughs> but, you know, I did write him and his sister and... Uh, apologize well, and I was off forgiven. The whole <laughs> well, I was real close with his sister. We were like almost best friends. Uh, and so when I broke up with her brother, I lost her too. So, um, but I did clean that one up and was forgiven by both. And uh, there you go. See, this is an important thing: is we can have the regret and we can clean it up, and then it doesn't tend to be a regret anymore. Then it's something we have to think about. And say, oh, I did regret that, and I would agree with you that. Oftentimes, I've regretted the way I've said something, the way in which I got my point across more so than what the action was that I was trying to do. I tend to be really super diplomatic, and people don't really know that I've I've said anything aggressive or assertive, and I have to point it out and hold my fist in the air if I'm angry to let people know. So in going through like a breakup, it's going to take months of my planning it in my head of what is this going to look like? What's it going to sound like? And so sometimes the version that comes out is so watered down that I think it, it doesn't get my point across. It almost sounds, um, inconsequential when it, when they don't realize it was very consequential and took so much of my thought process for months. Got it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever standing with your fist in the air talking to me, I know you're not imitating the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> right. You're actually very angry. Uh, I remember even saying that in one in one of the conversations in this breakup where they said, I can never tell if you're angry. And it was like, my fist is in the air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <It's> Noted. <laughs> I've gotten better. I've gotten, I regret that I wasn't more in touch emotionally so that I could express myself Clearly, in the moment, I tend to be one of those people that goes back and says, Ooh, I should have said this. I have wonderful retorts, you know, the next day. So, And I think it's because I buffer so much. I, I put so much of a buffer between myself and the present moment that it takes me that long for me to really process it. I think it sounds like you're a little bit more in the present moment, so you're going to react I have with had those to emotions. Le- I have had to learn how to buffer. Mm-hmm. Um, how to, like, in, in the instant when I when that emotion is up, to take a step back, you know, mm-hmm. watch the emotion, but not act on it until I'm at it in a calmer, more rational place. Mm-hmm. Um, worrying about what others thought about me so much. Oh, I think that's why I'm so diplomatic in the way I talk. I'm so concerned. Mm-hmm. with with everybody's opinion. Don't you think at this age we start to loosen up a little bit about that? Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love seeing the older... It's mostly ladies. Why is that? Because the men have died. <laughs> but the older ladies who dress kind of outlandishly, really colorfully. Some, A lot of women now in their gray hair, they're getting a purple streak. Right. You know, it's... It's a really great time to not have to worry so much about what others think of us. Mm-hmm. That's true. Do I regret times in the past when I've let other people's opinions of me affect my decisions? And I would say definitely that I made decisions based on someone's opinion. I was one of those people in my previous marriage, I was one of those people that I believed I had to be kind of, it was a unit. And so... If, if he was going to be a certain way, then I was going to be that certain way. Or if he was he wanted to see this movie, then I would see that movie. And it took me a long time to find my own identity in that. So I think that this is a big... It's, it's more of projecting onto the partner that their opinion of me was more important than my opinion of me. Wow. 
and that was that was a hard lesson to learn. That was one of the things I learned in that years I took off from relationships and dived into my work. Good for you. I remember Jack Cornfield talking about his years as a monk. And when he left the monastery and eventually got a girlfriend, she would ask him something very simple, like, where do you want to go to dinner? And he would have no opinion. And he said he just started to cry about the fact that he couldn't access those likes and dislikes. I did that. I did that at the end of a really bad relationship that I, I remember crying in Blockbuster. I couldn't remember what kind of movies I liked. Wow. And so I just rented three different movies, three different genres, and I went, nope, nope. <laughs> So that disconnect, <laughs> disconnect is, is quite right. a gap. Yeah. Huh. That took a long time. And I think it comes from my childhood that my it was more important to please my parent to be safe than it was to express my own opinion and be happy. Or... Isn't it amazing how those childhood, even nonverbal decisions impact mm-hmm. us all through the years. Right. Right. Okay, not having, and this kind of ties on to what we just discussed, not having enough confidence in myself. That was a big one for me. I I spent many years feeling very low in Mm self-confidence. And um, I I mean, I have a poignant remembrance of being in college in the bathroom stall of a public bathroom and brushing my hair because... I felt if I stepped out in front of the mirror and brushed my hair, people would say, oh, my God, you're so ugly. Why do you even bother? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, you know, you know how sometimes we have a, a moment that stands out? And mm-hmm. that was one of the things that turned me around. I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do, I do regret those years of not trusting that who I was was good enough. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of regret? Do you know what is celebration? Celebration, because I almost, I almost am hearing us again and again. We're saying, "I used to do this," or "There was this time that." And that's the beauty and of it. That's this. the beauty of it that we're we're looking at these regrets, but it's also we turn them around and say, "Oh, what did I learn in that?" And how do I how do I celebrate myself now that I can think back to the times in relationship when I gave away myself one hundred percent to the relationship to the partner. And then I can celebrate that, oh, yeah, I did recover from that. That isn't something that I'm continuing to manifest. Same here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do celebrate my sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. That's and great. do you See, celebrate your, your feelings and emotions and your, your connection to them? Not yet. No, not necessarily, but I'm working on it. I was, I was kind of going towards self-confidence, and I was thinking, I have found that I had to find my field. So I was an elementary school teacher, and I remember having that, um, what's it called, imposter syndrome, where you feel like you're not in the right place, you're not doing the right thing. Living someone else's life, doing someone else's job. Right. I really felt like it didn't suit me, but I didn't know what else to do. And when I found the type of teaching I liked, when I found the type of teaching that was right for me, I don't have any lack of self-confidence in that. As I can get up in front of a room full of people and talk, you know, this morning I had to teach on a subject. I was expecting to teach one thing and somebody hadn't prepared their materials. So an hour before class, they changed my topic. And it was just, okay, let's do this. This is going to be great. And I went with that. Whereas when I was teaching elementary school, if that had happened, I would have been a basket case. It would have been so incredibly stressful, even after years of experience. So I think there's a part of it with me, self-confidence was really tied to if I was living my authentic self, my authentic life, then I have self-confidence. And when I'm stepping into and trying to masquerade in some other aspect, then I lack self-confidence. That is a really brilliant insight. Why, thank you. Authenticity <laughs> equals confidence. Right. And I might add happiness. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. 
All right, next, living the life that my parents wanted me to live instead of the one I wanted to. So I remember being in um, a para, I forget what it was called, some, I, I took a lot of religious studies courses in college, but my major was business economics. And I was in one of these religious study courses and the professor made kind of an offhand comment. He said, a lot of you are doing the major you're doing because your parents want you to, not because you want to. And it, it kind of struck me like lightning, like, what am I doing? This is not my interest. My parents have, all through my years, business is the best way to focus, the best thing to focus on because it's so generalized, you know, and it wasn't really my interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just talking to someone about that recently. But for me, what comes up with this is when my dad died. He died, I was probably 35, and I began to think that all of my decisions up to that point, the career that I'd chosen, even the car I was driving, I had gained his input on and I wanted his approval. Even the fact, it's even the marriage I was in. I wanted that approval of my father to give it the, the stamp of the golden stamp that it was okay. And all of a sudden he had died and I had to think about, I guess it's me back at Blockbuster, but thinking about who do I want to be if I don't have this person to approve of me? What is it I'm going to do? And it changed everything. I left my marriage. I left the job. I left. I went back to school. I studied something that he would have thought was very weird. And it freed me to live my life. But I didn't even realize that I was making choices based on that. Isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. It really is. And I don't think it's until you wake up in some way, whether it's wake up in a class and say, wait a minute, I don't want to be here. Or have the person pass, and then you have no choice but to see what would my life be like without this person. So I celebrate our awakening. Yes, that sounds like, okay, celebration. <laughs> <laughs> um, another regret is people wish they'd been happier more and not taken life so seriously. Oh, gosh. I guess I regret that for myself right now. In starting a new business, I'm finding myself spending a lot of time at the computer and working and being stressed. It's, oh, I think of an example I had. A, I was griping about something that was going on with my work. And my husband said, don't you work for yourself now? <laughs> I just said, what does that have to do with it? He goes, well, you could choose to do what you're doing or you can choose something different. And it was like, I never realized that freedom. And I did. I changed it. I cut that part of the business off and said, I'm not doing that anymore. It's not, it's not satisfying to me. Um, and then people would ask me for the next week or so I started, I, I always feel like the universe just sends you the, sends you the opportunities to determine, is this really what you're going to do? So I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the next week I got three phone calls from people looking for that aspect of my business. I wasn't going to be doing anymore. And I had those moments of, oh my gosh, that's really pretty lucrative and I should do it. And then it was like, no, it's too stressful. I'm not going to do it. So I think there is a part of this, the happiness I, I finding myself getting caught up in things that I think I have to do, but I don't have to do. I can, I can choose happiness at any time. Isn't it amazing to actually get on the deepest level or a deep level anyway, that it is a choice. Right. And that we can make a new choice at any moment. Mm -hmm. It is. And we can change that choice. We're not locked in. I think it's harder when we're working for someone you know, it's harder when we're in the job market, but as we step into retirement or we step into self-employment, we can wake up every morning and say, what am I going to do today that will make me happy? Yeah, choose happy. As you know, I study A Course of Love, 
-hmm. And one of the things it points out is that seriousness is very much an aspect of our ego nature, not our more awakened nature. And that when you're in your more enlightened place, then there's a feeling of enlightenment, of being of lightening up. Mm -hmm. And um, you laugh and you play and you have more fun. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> ah, here's a good one. Bearing the hatchet with a family member or old friend. I don't hold on to these kinds of resentments, so I can't think of anybody that I might be holding a hatchet against. And if they're holding a hatchet against me, I've, I've forgotten about it. So I forgive you, <laughs> whoever you may be. How about you? Did any, any of those situations come up for you? Um, my... One of my sisters has a hatchet against all of us, all, all the other, there's five of us against the four other siblings, and um, it makes me sad. I yeah. miss her, and I've tried to mend things, but she won't have it. The hurt is too deep for her. Right. So, yeah, I don't think that I have any hatchets. I've, um, I've been very um, productive in terms of addressing those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I probably have a few buried somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, that's the only one I can think of that that is still painful to me. Yeah, that would be. It's hard with siblings because we grow up with them and there's this bond, there's this strength. And then when they're not there, it's it hurts. You know, we shared a bedroom for many years and when everybody else in the house was asleep, sometimes we'd sneak down the stairs and out in the backyard and dance under the stars with absolute freedom. And, you know, it's it's um, it's still painful that that person doesn't want to connect with me. Right. Mm -hmm. But See, it's, it's, it's out of my control. Right. So there are two things I sometimes I think about. Is there anyone I still need to apologize to? Is there anyone I still need to go back and and do those apologies? There's been people I've apologized to that have been a non-responsive to the apology or non-accepting of the apology. So I, I I accept that I've done my part, and I think if I and I always imagine if I was on my deathbed, would I want to say you know call this person to me so I can apologize one more time? And I think I've done a pretty good job. I, I don't have anybody come to mind immediately. But I think that when we look at this bearing the hatchet, there's both the people I need to apologize to and the people that I need to forgive. I think and both of them start with me. They do, huh? I mean, those two things are within our control. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we can attain some level of peace once right. we do those, no matter what the response is. Right. I had a um, an acquaintance who ended a marriage in bitter, bitter divorce. And then she got cancer, and some years later she was lying on her deathbed. And her ex, she asked to see her ex-husband. and He came, and they held each other, and they cried and cried and cried. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, resolved it all. So good not to wait for that moment, because right. we don't know if we'll have it. It might be a truck slamming into us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right, trusting that voice in the back of my head more. I don't think it comes from the back of the head. I think it comes from the heart. Anyway, what, what they mean is trusting our intuition. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's not so much not trusting it, it's not acting on it. Is I trust that it was the best thing to do, but I'm, I'm afraid of the consequences if I take that step. I'm, I, I'm 
projecting my fear into the future. I'm not trusting that I will be safe if I actually listen to that voice. Got it. Because I think I think the voice is pretty spot on, and then I kind of go, yeah, well, I'll come back to you later. You got you just be quiet right now, and I'm going to deal with life for a while. And then eventually, I think it starts talking a little bit louder and louder until it's kind of yelling in my ear. <laughs> oh, that's good because my my idea of it is that it gets softer and softer if we listen to it less and less. And who knows? Um, I I really my my first real listening to that voice was when I was working a corporate job shortly after college, and I was making a lot of money and wearing suits to work, and my family was so proud of me. And this little voice kept saying, this isn't it. This isn't what you were meant to do. You know, pay attention, please. And for two years, I, I squished it away, squished it away. Finally, I decided I had to listen to it. And I quit my job. And I went cavorting through Europe with a friend with a backpack on, our, on my back. And it, it opened me up in so many ways, spiritually especially. So... Uh, from then on, I've pretty well trusted that voice. Good. Doesn't mean it's it's not scary because it it usually is and challenging, mm-hmm. but um, the where it leads is beautiful. Not getting that degree, high school or college, or might I might add beyond college. Mm-hmm. There are times that I think back to what might have happened. My dad had a comment to me because, of course, I lived for his approval. I wanted to go into math. I wanted to be a math major. It was I was interested in mathematics, and I had this really dynamic math teacher in college who was a woman, and it kind of opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, this is something women could do. So I went home, and I was I was all jazzed about this new path my life was going to take because I'd been kind of aimless up till then. And my dad looked at me and said, there's nothing a woman can do with a math major. And I just kind of went, oh, I guess you're right. I guess there's nothing a woman can do with a math major. And I went back and I went to elementary education because, you know, a woman could do that. And I don't think that he, well, he was a product of his time. And so I don't think he was trying to be overly sexist. He was thinking, you know, where he looked in STEM fields, there were no women in there. And of course there was this one teacher and it was like, well, she must've been an anomaly. So there was this decision. So what I regret is not kind of following my voice at that time. I don't think I would have been a math major. It's not um, a strong passion or an interest, but why not pursue it? I my son's really interested in a in a field that there's probably a lot of competition in. It's it's a very competitive field, and people will try to discourage him from going into it. And I say, you know, why? You know, he's a kid. Let him go and do what he's going to do. Yeah. And if he succeeds, that's fantastic. And if he doesn't succeed, he's doing something he's passionate about. Yeah, and if you don't try, you'll never know. Right. And then it'll end up being a regret when you're I know. pushing 60. And... <laughs> then he'll be on a podcast in 60 years saying, that time my mother told me not to go into acting. You know? <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's great, and I think he's great. And it's if the world thinks he's great, that's wonderful. But if not, I just want him to think he's great. Ah, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. What a good mama. You know, back to that time when I was sitting in that religious studies class, I was already a senior in college when I realized it wasn't the major I wanted. <laughs> and I just said, you know, I only have a few months left. I'm just going to finish this off. Mm-hmm. But I do regret not having uh, pursued a field that I was more drawn to, like mm-hmm. religious studies. But you know what's funny is it kind of goes back. All of these tie in together. The lack of self-confidence, the lack of not listening to the voice, less the listen, living for someone else's expectations. They all come up again and again, but they're bound together. 
They are. Yeah, there's a huge tie-in between all of them. Mm -hmm. So maybe if we untangled one, all the rest would untangle. Oh, my gosh. And then who would we be? Uh, (laughs) We'd be ourselves in all our glory. Authentic and exciting. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. Um, Last but not least, not visiting, not, last but not least, not visiting a dying friend before he or she died. Oh my gosh, I have one of those regrets. So do I. I. Tell me yours. Well, it was a friend and she was very ill. She had cancer and she was dying at home. And so I would come by and I would visit her fairly regularly, once a week or so. I would come by and read to her, bring her food and things. And she didn't die. And so then she decided that she wasn't going to die, that she was going to live. She had advanced cancer. It was not likely that that was going to happen. And she was older. And when she made that decision that she was going to live, I stopped visiting her. And I don't know why. When I think back on it, I just can't figure that out. And it was something that she said to someone. She wasn't talking about me specifically, but a number of people did. And she couldn't understand it, why people came to see her when she was dying, but they wouldn't come to see her when she had made this decision to live. And I don't know, I don't know what the reason was on my part, but I've always regretted that I didn't continue to come by every week because eventually she did pass and and I wasn't there. Wow. Hmm. Um, I had a friend who, again, cancer. She um, she was a, had a bald head at this point, and she turned to me and she looked at me. And and as she lost her hair, her face became more and more Buddha-like. And one day she looked at me with her, and we, we were just passing each other in a public place, but she looked at me with her Buddha eyes and she said, come visit me sometime. And I said, I will. And then I didn't, I got too busy, too caught up in my own life and she died. And I'll always regret not having had that chance to really connect with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we going to do with all this, Mary? Well, I think what I've gotten from this is Examining our regrets gives us the opportunity to resolve them. When I think about what is it that I regret, say in my previous marriage or in previous relationships or in my work life or anything, those are kind of raw spaces. They, they push back against me. They don't feel complete. Sometimes when I think of regrets, I think of who would I be horrified to run into? <laughs> and then I know I've got something there. I've got some work to do. So I think for me, this concept of regrets, I love switching from regrets to celebrations. It's great for me to see the places I've grown. That's when I know, you know, if I ran into that person, I would, I would appreciate it and I'd be grateful to see them. And it wouldn't bring up fear or anger or sadness or all these emotions that are tied up in regret. So I think it's, it's valuable to explore our regrets because I want to go with having the least of my concerns. You know, I want to go saying, the only thing I have left to regret is the fact that I didn't take more care of my neck. <laughs> you know, that I didn't, uh, that somehow everything else is resolved and there's some superficial, unimportant feature that is the only thing I have left to regret. Uh, that's lovely. And thinking about resolving that it's not always getting in touch with that person and cleaning it up. I mean, sometimes it is as simple as holding it to your heart, thanking it and releasing it yeah. and um, being compassionate to ourselves most especially. Oh my gosh. People do tough things when they're in pain. They, they can do rough, 
harmful things when they're in pain or not do things mm-hmm. that they ought to do when they're not confident in themselves. As we said, it's all tied in. So a lot of it is self-compassion. Mm-hmm. That's a lesson in itself, trying to figure out how to be kind, kinder to ourselves. And then it translates into being kinder to others. It definitely does. But here we are celebrating so many of those past regrets that are indeed in the past. And we've moved on and we've become more authentic and more integrated and... Yahoo! (laughs) That's it. Well, thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed listening to and hearing hearing us talk about our regrets. And I hope you'll examine some of your own and see how to resolve those and start celebrating all the the distance you've come from those times in the past. And let us know. Our website is www.aginggracefullypodcast.com and you can click on the comments. We'd love to hear from you. It's Janae Anderson and Mary Thompson signing off.